You're listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Thank you all for being here today. I'm honored and our church is honored and I believe the Lord is honored uh, as we think about, uh, I couldn't help but think about Isaiah 6 when we talked about shouting to the Lord as we gather around the throne where he is seated there, his train, uh, his, the train of his robe fills the temple and we see him in his sovereignty and power. I couldn't help but think about Revelation 5 where we see a lamb that looks like he should be dead because he was slain, but he's alive. He's resurrected, and um, and then all of heaven and earth is falling down. And there are all of these people that have been saved, that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that are singing to him. And I couldn't help but think of Philippians 2, where it says, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's coming a day when the entire earth is going to sing his praises. And I look forward to that day. I don't think we're living in that time right now, but that time is coming. Um, so as we sing songs like that, shout to the Lord, um, I, I can't help but reflect on the realities that um, are going on in our heart right now. And so a couple of things before we uh, look at, uh, I'm in Matthew chapter six, but I'm going to be in like a hundred different places in the Bible. It's going to be an unusual day. Uh, we're going to be going to a lot of scriptures this morning. In fact, probably most of um, our time together is just going to be spent reading the Bible here um, at church. Imagine that, reading the Bible at church. But um, in a couple of weeks, we start our Daniel series. We've got a couple of Daniel um, co copies of the book of Daniel. These are both the same thing. So if you've got two of them, you've got two copies of the book of Daniel. They're just whoever wants to be fancy and cool and whoever's just got the kind of plain, bland personality like me, whichever you, you want to choose. When they run out, I'll put some more on the back table, but pick those up. And then this Wednesday night, we have a study that begins, and it's called Strange New World uh, by Carl Truman. And uh, I love Carl Truman. If you um, want to understand understand what's going on in the world today. You want to understand it from a historical perspective. You want to try to understand where it's headed and how the church should respond to it. I would encourage you to sign up. And for those of you that did sign up, I don't have all of our resources yet, but I've got seven copies of, uh, of the, the book and the workbook. If you want to see me right after the service this morning, I can get you a copy of that. That's this Wednesday night, starting at 6.30 from 6.30 to 8. And you'll hear more about that in the announcements. But um, I, I love to listen to Carl Truman. I love to read Carl Truman. He wrote a larger book that's about 400 pages, and this is a takeoff from that. And uh, it was so insightful and so helpful for me, and I believe it'll be insightful and helpful for you as well. Um, Matthew chapter 6 is where we are, and the title of our series, series is On Earth As It Is in Heaven, In Locust Grove As It Is in Heaven, In Me As It Is in Heaven. And so we want to look at it from three different vantage points. This is a, a time every year where we sort of stop as a church and kind of recalibrate what is South Point about. And, and, and so as we think about that, um, last week we looked at in, in me as it is in heaven, what's happening in me and my heart, in my interior world. As Jesus prays in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 10, and he's praying a prayer teaching us how to pray, 
uh, teaching us to have this longing. Our longing should be for thy kingdom to come, thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and Locust Grove as it is in heaven. Last week in me as it is in heaven. This week in us as it is in heaven. Next week in the world as it is in heaven. And so this morning, I want you to think about in us as it is in heaven. And I want to drive this thought home uh, this morning, that the, the work of God that he does is a work that he does through people that are in community together around the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've heard it a million times. Uh, I, I'm closer to God when I'm out on the lake by myself fishing than I am at any other time, right? Or, and, and by the way, nothing wrong with going fishing on the lake. Have, have, have at it all you want to. Some people would say, well, I, I'm, I feel closer to God. Um, they'll get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go sit in a deer stand and, and get here at 1030 and fall asleep. Amen. Um, and they're like, I'm closer to God when I'm in that deer stand all by myself than I am at any other time in my life. Or I'm closer to God when I get on that tractor and I'm out plowing the field. And I'm, I'm closer to him there than I'm at any other time in my life. And I want to suggest to you that you can certainly be close to God in those places. But I don't believe we're any closer to God than when we are closer to those that we are connected to by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, I don't believe we're any closer to God than we are when we are in community because God created us to be in community, right? We know in, in uh, Genesis 2.18, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. We're going to see in the text of Scripture today that, that first of all, heaven should captivate our hearts, but secondly, heaven should permeate our relationships on earth as it is in heaven. While I'm here on this earth, heaven should captivate my heart. But while I'm here on this earth, if heaven is coming to earth, then, then heaven should permeate my relationships. And it, it makes sense. Jesus is clear in Matthew chapter 6. He, he laid some things out. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. We see this contrast between earth and heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's something about heaven that ought to be on our minds while we're here on earth. We read Romans chapter 8, verses 22 to 25, where, where creation is groaning for redemption, for the coming of our Lord and Savior, because everything that is wrong here on earth at some point in time in the future is going to be made right. Ephesians chapter 2, why, why are these things put here in the text of Scripture? And again, just listen as I, as I read, or you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and he's given us this... Great text on what it was like for us to be lost, verses 1 to 3. Then he says, but, but God in verse number 4, this transforming work by his power. But then he says in verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is for those of us who are here now. He's talking to us about heaven. It should be on our mind. He tells us in, in uh, Philippians, Paul says it's, um, it's better to depart 
to be with Christ. Heaven should be on our mind. He says in, in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. And he tells us over in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 1, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And he goes on to tell us the things we need to put to death. In other words, there's this differentiation between heaven and earth. We know in the book of Hebrews, he speaks extensively about that very thing. And he tells us about these people that are here on earth, but what are they doing? They're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. They didn't put on their cleats. They haven't stood in at home plate here on earth and digging in their heels like they're planning on staying here a while. They're not, they're not planning on, they're not sinking down roots. They're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And I appeal to you this morning and challenge you and compel you and implore you and invite you this morning to consider who you are and why these texts are in Scripture. They call on the believer to focus on, some of you wonder what was I just doing? I was at if you watch baseball, I was at the plate. I've got an imagine you're like, what is that guy doing? I was just I was just getting ready. I'm batting clean up. I was just getting ready to knock it out. Okay, so that's it. Uh, and and uh, I, I wish I was a switch hitter, but I'm not. I'm right-handed. Why are, why are these things there? Right? Is this just euphemistic fodder? Is this some hyperbole? While we immerse ourselves in the things of earth, or should this reality impact the way that we think and live? I think the whole of Scripture is constantly pushing us to evaluate our heart. Where is your heart? I want you to think about that this morning. Where is your heart? Where are your affections? What is it that you believe makes you alive? What is it that you long for? Is the answer to those questions found on earth or in heaven? Is the answer to those questions found on earth or in heaven? Heaven should captivate our hearts. Heaven should permeate our relationships. Two things I want to talk about this morning in looking at um, a, a ton of scriptures. First, I want to talk about why heaven should permeate our relationships. And secondly, uh, I want to talk about how does heaven permeate our relationships? So why should heaven permeate our relationships? I want, I want to take you all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And um, it, it is laid out as simply, and I'm going to say some verses, read some verses that you've heard um, uh, a million times before, but I want you to listen to them again with fresh ears. I'm not going to say anything profound. I'm not going to say anything that, that you're not familiar with. First of all, heaven should permeate our relationships because we were created by God for God. We were created by God for God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And verse 28 tells us that God blessed them. 
Now, listen, I, I don't know what you're struggling with or what you're going through or what you're facing or what's happening inside your heart, but here's the good news that I want to tell you. I wasn't created by anything in this world or for anything in this world. I wasn't created by anything in this world, and I wasn't created for anything in this world. I am not an accident. I didn't come to being by chance. I was specifically created by God. I am fearfully, specifically, purposefully, beautifully, wonderfully made by him and for him. And if I believe anything other than that, then I believe everything less than that, and I'm cheating myself and everyone around me. Did you hear me? If I believe anything less than that I was created by God and for God, then I'm cheating myself and I'm cheating everyone that I am in uh, a relationship with. And, and the less we believe that, we, uh, uh, the more we abandon the basic premise, the deeper we sink into despair and destruction. I, I want you to listen to what the psalmist had to say in Psalm 8. What, what a beautiful, beautiful Psalm. He says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He's amazed that the God of creation cares for him. He's, he's amazed that the God of creation is mindful of him. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Why would we want to trade that heavenly description and reality of who we are in Christ? Why would we want to trade that in for anything that earth has to offer? The earth way of thinking would tell you that you came from dirt, that God had nothing to do with it, and he has no purpose for you, and it doesn't matter how you live, and there's nothing after you die. Those are the thought processes that permeate our world. And I want to tell you that there is something far better by a God who deeply loves you and has created you for something far better than anything that this world has to offer you, and the psalmist, in understanding how much he is loved and cared for and created by and the purpose that is given him by God, the psalmist is so overwhelmed with that that he breaks forth into worship. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I would hope that your heart would be captured by that. I would hope that your heart would be captured by the 139th Psalm. And it would press us to realize that we were created by God, the God of heaven, for heaven, for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity is written on our heart. Now, now listen, here's what God's created you for. Here's what the text of Scripture would be very clear about. First of all, first of all God has created you to be free, and freedom is only found in him. If you are not, if you, if, if you are not living in who you are in Christ, you are bound in sin, you are enslaved to sin. And I, I know a, a lot of times we see it, we see it in the political realm. 
Almost any politician that talks to you, if you listen to them, they're going to tell you the exact, exact opposite of what the truth is. The world is telling you the exact opposite of what the truth is. The world is telling you that if, if only you could sin and be in sin, and all the people that are sinning, you just, just look at them wherever you want to look at, social media or TV, they look like they're having the fun, and it's the folks over there in church that are bored out of their skull, right? Freedom is not found in sin. Bondage is found in sin. Freedom is found in Christ and Christ alone. And we were created to be free, and freedom is only found in the way that God has created us. We were created to be alive. We were created to be free, not enslaved. We were created to be alive, not dead. And, and he says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is your life appears, Christ is life. If you're outside of Christ, you're dead. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Apart from him, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We were created to be free. We were created to be alive. We were created for joy for us to find our ultimate joy in him and for him to find his joy and delight in us. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Paul doubles down on it. I don't know how you walked in today, but I, I, I would propose that most of us didn't walk in rejoicing. Most of us walked in with anxiety. Most of us walked in with a problem. Most of us walked in with complaint. Most of us walked in with something that we do not like. But we were not created for that. That's why those things, when that stress begins to rub inside of our brain and inside of our organs, that's, that stress kills us But because we were created to be alive in him and we were created to rejoice in him and we were created to be delighted in by him. Some folks might struggle with the fact that God would delight in us, but I, I was reading this morning where the father said, you are my beloved son on whom I'm well pleased. He says he's talking about Jesus. He is, and I am in Christ. And he's talking about me. And it would mean so much to us this morning if when we look to heaven, we wouldn't see a God with a club ready to beat us over the head, but a God who invites us into relationship and loves us so much that he sends his son to live the life that we cannot live and to die the death that we deserve to die and to, to rise victorious over an enemy that we cannot defeat, to set us free, to set joy in our heart, to give us the opportunity to, to delight again in our creator and to understand that when we look into his face and into his countenance, that we see delight in his eyes, we see delight in his smile, and we see his love for us just like he loves his son. So we were created to be, to be free, and freedom is only found in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're in bondage. To be alive, we were created to be alive, and if you are not alive in Christ, you are dead in sin. We were created for joy, and you will not find joy. We trade in joy for happiness, and we try to milk happiness out of everything that we find in the world, and it never provides us. We were created to be delighted in by him. We were created for purpose. That's why we're praying, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. His kingdom and his will should be an obsession for the believer because that is what we were created for. We were created by God and for God. 
Heaven should permeate our relationships because we were created by God and for God. And we were created to be like him. We were created to be with him. We were created to live for him. We were created to be loved by him. And we were created to love him. And I'm going to prove that to you without question. So why should heaven permeate our relationships? Because we were created by God and for God. Secondly... Why should heaven permeate our relationships? Because the the life in us is the very life of God. In Genesis chapter 2, it's a a, a beautiful verse of Scripture, but just imagine it. God has taken this dust of the ground and he's formed um, this this man. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The, the, The thing that makes us alive is the life of God. And he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but But God has made us alive, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4. This act of God breathing, breathing out his spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, that's what he did with the word of God. The word of God is breathed out. It is God speaking, but it is the very life of God. It is active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Why? Because it is alive. And he says in Colossians 3, 3 and 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears. So this breath of God is the very source of life that is in you and in me. But the third thing, why should should heaven permeate our relationships because we were created by God and for God because the the life in us is the very life of God. Thirdly, heaven should permeate our relationships because we were created by community for community. We were created by community for community. Again, Genesis 1. He he tells us, if you go back to verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is in community and he creates those of us who have his life dwelling in us. Those that he has created for himself, he has created us to be in community. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. He created us to be in community. We see it over and over and over again in Scripture. Let me, just, let me just expound on that for a second and give you some verses of Scripture to think about. Because, listen, if, 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 if we're praying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then to, to experience heaven on earth, then we need to know what's going on in heaven. And we need to know what God in, God's intention was when he created us. So, so hang on with me for just a minute. Listen to this. We were created for an indivisible interconnectedness. We were created for an indivisible interconnectedness. Indivisible is a mathematics term. It means unable to be divided. Let me say it again. We were created for an indivisible interconnectedness. That's why when we come to Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24, he says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. What does he mean by that here in this first of human relationships that we see? He means that they are indivisible. And to disrupt or destroy that connectedness is 
a serious matter. That's why when we come to the book of Matthew, it says what God has joined together, uh, let not man separate. What God has connected, don't pull it apart. There's this covenant relationship and that's why in Malachi chapter 2 and I'm not trying to preach a message on divorce and if you've been divorced I want to tell you that there's great grace and I'm not trying to put any guilt on anybody relative to that but I do think we need to look at that to understand what God intends in our connectedness but also let us understand that his intention in our connectedness is in this context of everybody in this room having a profoundly difficult time figuring out how to make relationships work. Can I get an amen? amen? The pain that you walked in here with this morning is a pain that is a product of broken relationships. And believe it or not, the way that God has wired your brain the broken relationships that impact your life right now this morning are not just the broken relationships with the person that was sitting in the passenger seat that you were arguing with on your way to church. But it literally is an impact that is put on you generationally. When, when we refuse to resolve things relationally, it is as though we fertilize them and pass them on to our kids. And when we refuse to resolve things with our parents relationally, it's as though they dumped every bit of that on us and now we're carrying our issues and their issues and then we're passing it on to our kids. And so we live in this world where there's this massive relational dysfunction and we go back to the garden and we see this, these two people in this marriage relationship and I think God is not only talking to us about the importance of marriage I think he's talking to us about the importance of the permanency, the covenant nature, the, the indivisible interconnectedness of human relationships that we must not violate. That we must not violate. Right? We'll, we'll break a relationship in a split second on a dime. Somebody says the wrong thing. Somebody looks at us the wrong way. We write them off. And I will tell you that writing people off is not from heaven. It is straight out of the pit of hell. Satan is a badon and a polyon. He is death and destruction. He is the divider. He is the thief. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal the joy of being uh, indivisibly interconnected with other human beings in Christ. And so when... Malachi deals with these issues of divorce, which, by the way, were in the context of uh, a picture of the everlasting covenant of God. It was because we need to understand that, that in God's created order, for the sake of clear gospel proclamation, we must not disrupt and destroy our relationships. That's why, quite frankly, Scripture says, hey, you don't have the option of being careless sexually. You do not have the option of connecting to multiple people in sexual relationships. Why? Because it is a complete disruption of the relational intention for God the Father. Relationships are that important to him. Relationships come together. They're intended to be Indivisibly interconnected. And we need to understand that as a baseline. And anything other than that 
is a violation of divinely designed community. Now, let me say, you, you say, oh, I messed up. What do I need to do? Just, just cry out to God and say, have mercy on me. Because you know the fact of the matter is you sit in a room full of people that have messed up too. Every one of us has. None of us has gotten it right. But does that mean that we can't see how important our connection is to God? Does that mean that we can't start seeing it differently, believing it differently, living it differently, being different? Right. Can we do that? So I'm not here to say, man, if you've, if, you've had, if you've messed up in these categories that I'm talking about, I want you to leave feeling guilty. No, I want, you to, I want to tell you that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and he hung there and he bore our sin and he bore our shame and we can, we can look into his face and see his delight. None of us, none of us has the delight of God the Father on the basis of our performance or our holiness. None of us. Because we're all sinners. Anybody that has the delight of the Father, the, the relational joy, the relational purpose, the relational closeness with God the Father is all based on the finished work of Christ. And it is the same. I, I love what Second Peter says. He said, he, he's talking to a people and he said, hey, the, the, your faith is a like precious faith. The same faith that Peter had is the same faith that you and I can have. And so there aren't these degrees of, hey, God likes me better than you. The only reason God likes any of us is if Jesus Christ lives within us and we've trusted him. So let me be clear about that. But let us understand that there is this intention for our human relationships that are laid out in Scripture. And those relationships should not be shallow. They should not be fractured. They should not be disposable. And they should not be broken. And so I would say from this day forward, whenever you're in a relationship with someone, you need to think about it in those terms. And whenever something is, whenever there's something wrong, you don't let it go, but you resolve it. Why? For the sake of the relationship. We are not made, formed, shaped, wired for malfunctioning, dysfunctional, tumultuous relationships. People always ask us, does your church believe in church discipline? Well, sure, we believe in church discipline. But can I tell you what Matthew 18 is about? Matthew 18 is about making broken relationships right. Matthew 18 is not about a bunch of mad people at church who caught somebody in sin and they want to stick it to them. Matthew 18 is about people who have broken relationships and they're calling in the community to make those relationships right. Matthew 5, 24, leave your gift at the altar and go make things right with your brother. Why? Because relationships are so important. It's not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2, 18, and he created man and woman and other human beings and gave us this, this cornerstone of life. And the cornerstone of life are these indivisible, interconnected relationship. You got to understand that. If, 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 the, if things are swirling around in your head like they're swirling around in my head, if, if you've got the wires crossed in your life like I've got the wires crossed in my life, I, I want to tell you that that all points back to broken malfunctioning, dysfunctional relationships. And God didn't create us to live in that dysfunction. So, so there is this divine, indivisible, 
interconnectedness that is foundational to created order, that is foundational to life as God has intended it. And when Christ came, and, and I want you to uh, just consider um, John 17. Um, I, want you to, I want you to think about what Jesus wanted for those who are his in that realm. Folks, you can't take this lightly. Listen, you don't take Jesus seriously if you don't take relationships seriously. You do not take the gospel seriously if you are not moving right now to repair ruptured relationships. You do not take the gospel seriously if you are not pursuing deep relationships in community. You don't. You just don't. I don't want to heap that guilt on you. I just want to tell you that's where life is found. I want to invite you into that. Pursue that. You were created for that. You say, prove it. John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that? That's us. Oh, really, what are you talking to the Father about, Jesus? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So here's this relationship that God the Father and God the Son have with each other and God the Son is praying to God the Father about you and me saying that he wants us with each other to have the same kind of relationship that the Father and the Son have and he wants us to have that kind of relationship with him. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. We go all the way back to Genesis 2.24. We see the standard for relationships. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. Why? He says it again, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There is, there is something that is, that is connected to our evangelism that, that springs out of our relationship with God the Father and our relationship with each other. Our message is, is just falling on deaf ears and is completely unconvincing unless the gospel that we're trying to give to someone else has not impacted us on a relational level. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am so there is presence to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know you have sent me, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We see this relationship, and now it's taking on this character and this description of love. We were created for community. I just want to point out a couple of things real quick before I move to my second point this morning. And I'm turning it over to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see something. This unity is so important to God the Father, that Paul wrote about it to the church at Ephesus. He says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Now, how, how do we walk worthy of the calling that we've been called? We walk relationally. We walk relationally. The walk is in relationship, he says, with all humility. By the way, when we say 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you look at Matthew chapter 18, who is in heaven? But those who are humble, like a small child. There's no, there's no, there's no pride there. There should be no pride among people who claim the name of Christ. With all humility and gentleness, this is, this is relational, with patience, bearing with one another in love. What does that mean? It means it ain't going to be easy. You just want to hang out with people that it's easy to hang out with? God bless you. You're going to have a very shallow relationship. You're you're not experiencing the depth of relationship that you were created to experience unless there are burdens associated with those relationships. And most of us, when we smell burden, we run. Right? Oh, I don't want to get involved in that. Too much work there. He's saying, listen, if you're going to walk... Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You do it with humility. You do it with gentleness. You do it with patience. And you bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why? Because these relationships are so important. Our indivisible interconnectedness is so important to God. Over to Philippians chapter 3. I love the context here. And by the way, these chapter divisions were not put in there by the Apostle Paul when he wrote the book of Ephesians. But, but listen to this. This, this, is, this. this goes to show us that our indivisible interconnectedness is so important to God that Paul is writing about it. He's writing to the church at, at Philippi. And I, I've heard people say the, the, the book of Philippians is about joy. And I think the book of Philippians is about broken relationships that need to be fixed. He says it over and over again, and I'm the only person that I think says that, which means I'm probably wrong. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, verse 20 of chapter 3, and for it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore... Our citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He's going to get specific. He's going to mention a couple of names. Watch this. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. (laughs) Hey, girls, y'all got something going on? Y'all, y'all, been, y'all been, you know, wagging your head and wagging your finger and y'all disagreed about something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe both of them wore the same dress on Sunday. You know, I don't know. Maybe they both brought, brought, both brought baked beans to the church supper. I don't know what the problem was, but it was a serious problem and everybody knew about it. And Euodia would walk in and sit on one side and Sintiki would walk in and sit on the other side. And Paul's like, hold on, time out. This ain't happening here. This does have, this has no place in the body of Christ. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. What is my identity? Is it in heaven or on earth? Well, you, you, you may be mad. Left hook, right uppercut. Kick to the kneecap. MMA, it's on. Right? Let's go. Let's rumble. Three rounds. And I won't be satisfied until I see blood. Right? That's the way we are. That's the way the world is. That's the way it is on earth. Agree in the Lord. He said, yes, I ask you, true 
Companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What is he saying? He's saying there is this, there is this relational rupture and I'm calling on these women. Hey, ladies, hold up. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. You mean to tell me that your problem is bigger than the mission of God? You mean to tell me that whatever's going on between the two of you is bigger than the mission of God? You mean to tell me that whatever's going on between the two of you is bigger than the church, more important than the church, more, more important than what God wants to do here on earth through people that are citizens of heaven? It's like, nope, nope. I'm telling you that whatever this rupture is, ladies, y'all need to cut it out. Y'all need to get it right. And if they don't, everybody else in the body of Christ needs to move in like, like you know, the doctor showing up with his bag saying, we're going we're gonna to equip these folks. We're going to heal these folks. We're going to get this relationship right because there's too much at stake if it's not. Why? Because there is this indivisible interconnectedness that God has created us with that is restored in the gospel and expected from those of us who say that we believe the gospel. Just a, a cursory look at Acts, just the book of Acts. And let me, let me just, just hit some, some, some highlights here in, in the book of Acts, starting in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 6. I want you to see this picture. I'm not just throwing something out there, but I'm, I'm telling you that when the Spirit came in Acts chapter 1 and the Spirit began to work, the, the, the predominant manifestation of those who said they believed when they were together in community was that they were together, that there was unity, that there was love, that there were these relationships that were heavenly relationships that look nothing like see the people people in the world know that that you can't make life work people know that they don't get along with their parents they know that they don't get along with their kids they know that they don't get get along with their spouse they know that they don't get along with the people that they work with they know that they don't get along when, when they're when they're driving beside somebody in traffic or somebody doesn't does doesn't feel the the queso up all the way to the rim Right? We, we just know relationships don't work. And, and, and the world looks in and says, how does your relationship work? The world looks at your marriage and says, you look like you love each other after, after 40 years. How does that work? And we have to say it's the, it's the power of the gospel. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, we see these people, and, and this, is, this is before the Spirit has come as we understand it in Acts 2. So when they had come together, so here they are together in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 6, and we see them again in verse number 14. All these with one accord... These are the people of Christ with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brother. So the small group was unified, chapter 2 and verse number 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But they were all, all together in this. These were not isolated Things in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 44. And all who believed were together and had all things common. Chapter 4 and verse number 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything 
in common. And in verse number 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 12, we, we see again this unity. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Physical location, physical proximity, but in chapter 5 and verse number 42, um, it says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So there is this unity of relationship and this unity of mission. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 4. I've just got a couple more. Um, it says in 8 4, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They kept, they kept pushing the mission of God even though there was scattering. And in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 25, and when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages and to the Samaritans, and then in chapter 14 and verse number 27, and this is the last one I will share to try to help you see and help me see and understand this morning that there is something unique about the body of Christ and that there is this indivisible interconnectedness. Um, and that verse doesn't look right, um, but anyway, wait a minute, verse 25, and when they had spoken the word in, nope, that verse isn't right either. Uh, uh, I was looking at the wrong verse. Um, and when they arrived, verse 27, and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. There was this life among them. There was this indivisible interconnectedness. Why should heaven permeate our relationships? Because God has created us and saved us into indivisible interconnectedness. We call it community. And we must do everything that we can by the grace of God to preserve that community. To preserve that unity. When heaven comes to earth, when heaven comes to Locust Grove, when heaven comes to South Point, our relationships will be strangely and divinely and supernaturally different. Now let me say, if you're visiting with us today, I'm not trying to sell that to you. I'm not even trying to convince you that we are a people committed to that. I'm asking you to join us and be in the midst of the mess that we are in and help us strive for that by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit that lives within us. But let us pursue that relational beauty. Second question, how does heaven permeate our relationships? How does heaven permeate our relationships? First question, why should heaven permeate our relationships? Because that's the way God made us and human relationships. That's why. It's the way you were created. But secondly, how does heaven permeate our relationships? Let me, let me just try to, try to be brief. Number one, realize that the greatest blessings of God are relational. Realize that the greatest blessings of God are relational. You say, well, where, do you, where do you get that? I'm not discounting salvation. I'm not discounting the, the finished work of Christ. I'm including, I'm presuming that. But, but if you will, just look over at Matthew chapter 5 real quick. And Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not going to read uh, the Sermon on the Mount to you. But realize that the greatest blessings of God are relational. When he, when he gives us to be attitudes, beginning in verse number 2, uh, these are predominantly re relational, either relationship to him or relationship to each other. 
the greatest blessings of God are relational. But if you go further, he jumps right into salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What is that? It is relational. Christ came to fulfill the law, and he did it on our behalf that we might be accepted into the presence of God based on his finished work. What does he jump into next? He jumps right into anger. What is, what is anger? It's about broken, messed up relationships. What is lust? It's about broken, messed up relationships. What are, what are oaths? It's about us violating, literally violating our faith in a God who is sovereign. What about retaliation? Um, beginning in verse number 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is relational. What about loving your enemies in verse number 43? What is he telling us? He's, he's saying, look, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are the greatest Blessings of God are relational blessings. So if heaven is going to come to earth, the streets are not going to become gold. The gates are not going to be pearl. My bank account's not going to be full, but my relationships are going to be different. The greatest blessings of God are relational. Secondly, we need to realize that the greatest people in heaven are humble people. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, I've already mentioned that. Thirdly, realize that the clearest and most powerful manifestations of the Spirit are relational. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I want to begin um, reading in um, verse number 16. He says, but I say... Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, there's a, there's a way to walk this heavenly. There's a way to walk this earthly. There's a way to walk that's spiritual. There's a way to walk that's fleshly. For the desires of the flesh, verse 17, are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do, that you were created to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you, will, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are not heavenly things. But... Here are these earthly things. Here are these heavenly things. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that is produced by the Spirit that flows out of the life of the believer toward other people. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, this earth with its passions and lust. If we live by the Spirit, heaven, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The clearest, most powerful manifestation of the Spirit are relational. We see the same thing over in Colossians chapter 3 beginning in verse 5. 
He says, put to death, therefore, and he gives us that list again. But now you must put them all away, he says in verse number 8. But then he goes into the relational component of it. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We go back to Genesis chapter 1. This is how we were created relationally. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian. He goes on, Christ is all in all. Um, And then in verse number 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. So if there's rupture in the relationship, what are we doing? We're moving quickly to to repair rupture because God has created us with this indivisible interconnectedness. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Realize that the clearest and most powerful manifestations of the Spirit are relational. And then fourthly, realize that the predominant character of our our relationships is love. We've been called to love one another. We've been called to love one another. The predominant character of our relationships is love. I, I'm just going just gonna to read some scriptures, and I, I know I'm, I'm bumping up against time. Um, but but just, just bear with me. I, w- I want you to, I, w- I want to give the Spirit of God an opportunity to, to use his word to challenge and change our hearts and hear him calling us into something better than, um, than what we've been living with and for. He says in Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So he calls us to love one another. Everyone is familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's all about how we relate. He said, you can have all of these great things. You can have prophetic powers. You can speak with tongues. You can have biblical knowledge. He said, but if you have not love, all of that is nothing. But notice what he says about love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not inconsistent. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. He says in verse 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then John, 1 John chapter 4, and I'm almost done. 1 John chapter 4. Listen to this, listen to this beautiful text of Scripture that should be the definition of how we relate to one another. And if you're planning on going to heaven, you ought to listen to this. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. I've preached this before, and here's what I said. Love is life-giving. If we love one another, we are life-giving. You say, whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus did that. Oh, man, you're right. Hold on. 
Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, the, to be the propitiation for our sins. Love is life-giving and love is sin-bearing and the love of Jesus for us is a life-giving love and the love of Jesus for us is a sin-bearing love, right? Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another the same way. What if I don't get life back from them? What if I get dissonance? You still give life. Love is life-giving. The love of the one who knows God is a life-giving love. So we enter into maybe negative situations. We enter into dysfunctional situations. We enter into broken relationships. And what do we do? We just match brokenness with brokenness. We match insult with insult, right? Or we give life. Wait a minute, what if somebody sinned against me? Well, the, the, the love of Jesus towards you was life-giving and sin-bearing. Can, can you take an offense against you and bear it, or do you have to get even? Do you have to get even? By the way, getting even, pick up a piece of dirt and smell it because getting even is profoundly earthly. As it is in heaven, and getting even is bearing sin. It's bearing sin. Let us be clear from the text of Scripture. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let me read on. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And that's where the power of this love comes from. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he is in God. And this is sound doctrinal truth that, that John is concluding with in the, as he closes out. So we have come to know and to believe that believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is the love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is as he is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love cast out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says i love god and hates his brother it's relational he is a liar and he who does not love his brother and is not life-giving and sin-bearing, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. By this will all men know, John 13, that we are his disciples if we have love one for another. So why should heaven permeate our relationships, number one? But secondly, how does heaven permeate our relationships? Heaven permeates our relationships when the Spirit is active in our life and flowing out of us and the predominant thing that is going to flow out of us in very profound, practical, strong, supernatural ways is our love one for another. What is it like in your heart right now? If you just stop for a minute. And, and just answer that question. What is it like in your heart? Are you living out of his will and his kingdom or, 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 or yours? Are you trying to get life out of earth or heaven? What's it like at your house? 
What's it like in your marriage? What's it like? What are your kids experiencing as they live in the home with you, parents? Is your home filled with tension and manipulation and exasperation? Have you given up on your spouse? Have you given up on your kids? Are you pressured and disappointed? Are you entertained to death? Is there anything that really resembles a relationship in your home? Are you ambivalent to closeness? Are you isolated? Are you fearful? Are you self-protecting? Are you determined never to be hurt, to never be vulnerable? Are you cynical? Are you suspicious? Are you living to make sure that you're never taken advantage of again? Do you believe that deep, meaningful relationships are impossible? Have you been deeply wounded by past relationships? And are you making all current and future relationships pay for the damage that occurred in the past? If that's you, you're listening to the enemy. If that's you, you have cut yourself off from life. If that's you, you have cut yourself off from nurture. And it's only downhill if you stay there. But I want to invite you into something better. I want to invite you into what you were created for. I want to invite you not to find something, but to be something. I want you to be who Jesus created you to be. And that's only possible through a relationship with him, which radically and beautifully transforms our relationships with each other. And when we experience that, this prayer is answered on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs>